Uh, we're coming to the last few chapters of the book of Revelation. It is a great blessing that we can continue with this series in Alpha and Omega as we're reflecting about the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We have been going through a lot of experiences, a lot of terrified news of what will happen at the end times. But it's always a reminder for all of us that despite how horrible that can be, there is hope for all of us who have been trusted in Jesus Christ as, as our Lord and Savior. And this is a chapter 15 on this series in which we're going to get into one of the most difficult passages on the entire book. And I will say more controversial passages in the entire Bible. So if you brought your Bibles, please open it on Revelation 15. We're going to study those 15 verses. Revelation 15. While you're looking at it, let me tell you something interesting that happened some time ago. I was walking in a little path close to the house, our house. It was a little path, and it was kind of in the evening. It was getting dark. So I was just walking uh, instead of jogging. And when I was on my way back to the house, there was a strong smell in that path. It was so strong. And if you are familiar with this smell, you know what I'm talking about. It seemed like just at that moment, a skunk was spraying something. It was not me, thank goodness. But let me tell you something. As I was walking in that, that little patch, I felt the stench. And I ran as fast as I could because I didn't want to smell the thing. It's so penetrating, so horrible. But that smell came with me. I was smelling it all the way inside the house to the point that I had to change my clothes and take a bath, to be honest, because I couldn't get rid of that smell in my head. What I'm thinking about this, this is a great reminder of what sin is in this world. The whole world has been infected by the stench of sin. And there is no way to get rid of it. We can run from it, but we cannot eliminate it. It stays. There is no escape. The effects of sin are polluted, everything, including all of us. Because in sin, we were conceived. We are sinners by birth, and we are sinners by personal election. Sin spoils everything. It encourages the greed in people. It leads to the physical and emotional illness, destroys marriages. It prompts addictions, inspires wars. Sin corrupts the legal system in our country and in the world, corrodes governments, erodes economics, and promotes false religion as well. There is no area in society and culture that can escape from sin's influence. The world as we know it is not what God intended since the beginning. As the risk of not 
oversimplify this. Let me tell you that there are three reasons why the world is not what God intended. It's not that things are not as they should be. Number one, because Satan is presently allowed to have his way. Satan is not a myth. Some people, even believers in Christ, they don't believe in Satan. They think this, this is just a personification of evil, but that's it. But let me tell you, Satan is real. He's a real spiritual being who controls many facets of this world. He controls culture, society, politics, economics, and as I told you before, even religions, false religions. For the world to be as it was meant to be, Satan must be dethroned. He might be insidious, he might be invisible, but he is not invincible. So that's one of the reasons why the world as we know it is the way that it is. It doesn't supposed to be this way. The second reason is because Jesus is not yet in complete authority over the earth. Don't get me wrong. He is sovereign. He is in control of everything. But in the deep present age, he is not exercising the full dominion of earth. Satan is. Christ is presently at the right hand of the Father. And he is receiving all authority over heaven and earth. But in this present age, he is not fully exercised his full authority right here on earth. Because Jesus has not yet established his kingdom. So for the world to be what it's supposed to be, Jesus must take his throne and reign here on earth as he's doing it in heaven. The third thing is because unrighteous people are in the majority and in authority. That's another reason why the world is the way it is. For every good leader that you can find, for every righteous person, for every incorruptible leader that you can see, there are perhaps a dozen of those who are not. Evil people, corrupt leaders are in majority. So all these cause things to be as they were meant to be, not to be as they were meant to be. So until we have righteous leaders ruling, we will continue experiencing the world that we see it. So my idea with this sermon is this. Even though sin spoils everything, when Christ returns, he will redeem everything. And that's the hope that we have in him. And as we study Revelation 20, here we learn that when Christ returns, he will right all the wrongs. And he will turn things right side up. In a moment when he will be the ruler, prosperity will be shared. Peace will become the characteristic of every people. The light of justice will illuminate every corner of the world. But this condition will not be achieved through political change, education, social reforms, cultural awakening, or even religious revivals. 
it only can be accomplished. The global transformation will occur only when Satan and his minions are overthrown, allowing Jesus Christ and his glorified saints to establish a literal kingdom here on earth. And that's exactly what Revelation 15 will teach us today. After that, as we read today, Satan will be destroyed. Jesus will judge all sin, abolish death forever, and will make a way for the arrival of the new heavens and the new earth. And stay tuned because that's the next sermon that we're going to talk about. So these 1,000 years that we often call the millennium, because of Latin, millis is 1,000. It describes the literal reign of Christ here on earth. He will be reigning from Jerusalem, fulfilling God's covenant promised to Abraham and David. And how and when this will happen, these 1,000 years will happen, is understood by different people different ways. At least three views I have been sharing with you previously about the Millennium Kingdom. That is the post-millennialism view, and that means that Christ will return after the long period of blessing on earth. Hence, the prefix post means after. Christ will come after the millennial past. The millennialism, the, the word A, the alpha before the millennialism, means that those who hold this view, they don't believe in a literal thousand years of reign of Christ. The 1,000 years in their view is just symbolic. It's an extended period and do not designate a literal 1,000 year reign. So many millennialists argue that the millennium began when Jesus Christ ascended to the heavens after his resurrection and will end when he comes back on his second coming. So for them, Satan is bound right now. That's why the gospel is spreading out all over the world. But we are in the millennium, according to them, if that such thing exists. Other millennialists think that the saints that will be coming with him, Christ is reigning right now in heaven. And he is reigning spiritually in the hearts of the believers in the church age. The last view, the post-millennialism, Establishes that Christ will literally return to earth before the millennium. That's why pre, prior, means before. And he will reign for 1,000 years on earth before bringing an end to everything at the end of the millennium. However, most premillennialists believe in a 1,000-year designated literal period. But such view was not necessary for that position. Some of them believe that those who have historical premillennialism, they believe that that happened, you know, when Jesus Christ resurrected. But there are dispensational premillennialists who first appear in the 19th century and distinguish this from the historic premillennialists by arguing that there is a secret rapture seven years before Jesus' return to inaugurate the millennium. 
dispensational premillennialism emphasized that the fulfillment of promise to the Jewish people during the millennium will take place. And the kingdom, which will be centered in Jerusalem, will last for 1,000 years, after which the world will be destroyed and replaced by the new earth. This view is the most natural way to understand Revelations 20 to 22. So there are different positions about the millennial kingdom. And the plan is not to argue or cause division, but to understand that the church has to be united in one single truth, that Christ will return, defeat Satan, and reign forever. And all these three views agree with that. At the end of the day, he will do his will, and he will not take in consideration what I believe or not. So as we open Revelations 20, those 15 verses will help us to understand that the book of Revelation was written not to cause some fear, but to give us hope. Why? Because there is an important truth that we need to keep in mind. Satan's power is limited and circumscribed by God, while God, his plan is for his own will be realized. Hence, we can have hope in the future if we are believers in Jesus Christ. Those who can be terrified are those who reject Jesus Christ are the Savior. But for you who are a believer, that is hope. So in these 15 verses, we're going to see four events. First, we're going we're gonna to see the justice for Satan. Not that he will be justified, but the justice against him. The joy for the saints, the judgment for Satan, and the judgment for the sinners. Those four things we're going to explore in the few minutes that we got left. So brace yourself. Let's start reading. Open your Bibles, please, in Revelation 15. And let me start with the, the first one, just, the justice for Satan. In previous chapters, we have been reading... A lot of things going on. We learn about the destruction of Babylon, chapters 15, 16, and 17. The defeat of the wicked armies of the world that they were gathered together as a command of the beast and, and the false prophet in the valley of Megiddo to conduct the war on Armageddon. That's where the word is coming from. But something that we'll notice is that when Jesus returned, he put everything in order. He basically destroyed those armies and sent the beast and the false prophet directly to the lake of fire, except Satan. Satan was not sent there. Even Satan is an instrument in the hands of the Lord. The Lord has plans for him. And those plans have to do with his creation. Satan, the dragon, who gave the beast the authority and enabled the false prophets to perform wonders, is still alive. But the Lord is going to step in and change everything and bring an end to the evil reign of this devil and his demons. So there will be justice for Satan. 
As Christ and his armies stood suspended in the air, another phase of John's progressive vision took place, the biting of, of Satan. There's an angel. Look at verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with a key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. Let's pass for a moment. In chapter 9, we read about another angel, but this one is wicked angel. He was given a key to the bottomless pit. That's the abyss. That's another word for that. That's not the final destination for the evil or for Satan. That's just a temporary place, like a little prison cell, where they're going to be staying for a while until the final judgment comes for them. But that evil angel was given the key. When he opened the, the shaft, a lot of demons were coming up and they caused a lot of destruction on earth. You remember those. Here we have a different angel, not a demonic angel, but a holy angel. And he was given the key, and he was doing something in particular. Not only was carrying a key, but he was wearing a heavy chain. He came to bind Satan and put him inside that pit, inside the bottom of the pit, this abyss. He sees the dragon, the old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for 1,000 years. The angel threw him into the bottom's pit, which he then shut and locked, so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the 1,000 years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. When Christ returned and set up everything, his kingdom, the first order for him, will be in prison in Satan. So he will not be disturbed when him and his followers come to reign for those 1,000 years. This is the first reason that we don't have to be concerned about why the world is, is, is going the way that it is. This means that the, the first and, and worst cause of all sin will be removed from the sin. But Satan will be cast into the abyss, not into the lake of fire. The abyss, the temporary residence for him or prison, a place of torment. But it's not the final destination. There is some job to be done for him. When somebody is thrown into the lake of fire, there is no escape. But as we read in chapter 15, Satan is in this waiting room, per se. This means that God has a plan. And the plan is to test the faith of those who are going to be during the millennial kingdom here. Number two, joy for the saints. With Satan and his minions all being uh, put in prison, and all the people who rejected Christ, the millennial kingdom will be inaugurated. Peace on earth. Prosperity. Look at verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for the proclamation of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast and his statue, nor accepted his mark or their foreheads in their hands. They all came to life again. 
and they reigned with Christ for 1,000 years. The supreme ruler in that kingdom is Jesus Christ. He alone is king of kings and lord of lords. But what an amazing opportunity. He graciously promised to his disciples that he would allow them to reign with him. If you, for instance, read Matthew 19, 28, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he assured them something. He says, when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you, talking to his 12 disciples, who have been my followers, would also sit in 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus also expanded this promise to all believers. Excuse me. <coughs> when we read in um, verse 27, he said, To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. Revelation 2.27. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. So the heavenly army clothed in white robes will include both the original group of Jesus' disciples and the church saints. They're going to be ruling with him when they come with him. Yet, here in Revelation 20, there is another group. Those who have been executed during the tribulation period. Those who have not worshipped the beast and his statue nor accepting his mark on their foreheads or in their hands. They also are going to be with him. These righteous rulers will not only constitute a moral majority, they will be the only rulers over the earth. No one else will be corruptible by money or greed or pride or power. No more political cons conspiracies. In the headline, no more scandals exposed to the news. No more bribery, quid pro quo, filibusters, waffling or broken campaign promises. The corrupt politics of the old early government system will be gone forever. Only righteous, not the wicked, will be in the majority and they will be ruling with Christ. It sounds like utopia, but this is the millennial kingdom. God's glorified people will enforce the will of Christ and they will be ruling, they will be judging. But to whom? Who's going to be the, the subject? I'm glad you asked. Because if you read 1 Corinthians 6-2, this group of people that they are going to be ruling over will be the 144,000 preserved remnant of Israel who will be gathered back to the promised land to reestablish the nation of Israel under the Messiah. It will also include Gentile, survive, Gentile survivors from the tribulation, those who, who, who decided to trust Christ and didn't die at that moment. Those who had not received the mark of the beast and who also managed to avoid execution at the hand of the beast and the wicked regime. These mortal survivors, Hebrew and Gentiles alike, will be responsible for the repopulation of the earth during the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Wait, Pastor, I, I thought that in heaven, 
There will be no marriage. There will be no weddings. But we're not talking about heaven. We're talking about the millennial kingdom here on earth. Those who are alive at the moment that Christ returns, are they going to be responsible for repopulate? Remember, we are in 2022. If you go back in the year 1000, the population of this earth was in the millions. It took 1,000 years to reach the billions, 8 billions, as a matter of fact. So in 1,000 years, the population will grow with this group of people. The only problem is you can take a person out of a place, but you cannot take the heart out of that person. Because there is a sinful heart. I'm not talking about those who are reigning with Christ. I'm talking about those who are being governed. And there will be a generation of people whose descendants will not know what they knew. They need to learn. And that's precisely the group of people that God will need to test their faith. And he will be using Satan at the end of the millennium. So he can start testing the faith of those who supposedly are in that kingdom. Trusting in him. At the same time, there will be all saints who are going to get together like Abraham, Moses, and the prophets. They will be raised together with the tribulation martyrs at the, at the commencement of the 1,000 year of Christ. So we see these people. But also, we learn about the sinners who are going to be there. Verse 5. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the 1,000 years had ended. The first resurrection refers to the resurrection of the tribulation martyrs on the second coming of Christ, as well as the Old Testament saints. This is a physical resurrection of the believers when they will reign with Christ on the earth for the literal 1,000 years. While the second resurrection includes the rest of the dead, which refers to many of the unbelievers who physically will be dead, who are physically dead, and God will raise them at the end of the millennium for judgment. But verse 6 gives us a, a little glimpse of hope. Blessed, are, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. This is a final blessing for the participants of the first resurrection. Is that they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. If you, in this present age, are the one who believe in Christ and trust him as the Lord and Savior of your life, you will be taking part of this first resurrection with him. You will be reigning with him. The present righteousness and peace and joy will mark the millennial kingdom. So, we see the judgment. We see the, the, the problem. We see the great solution here. What happened with, with the believers. Now, now let's go into the nitty-gritty of what happened when Christ comes. Satan, not only he will be applying the justice, but also he will be judged. The Bible clearly declares that Christ's kingdom will last forever. But why he in Revelation 20 refers only to 1,000 years? Well, 
Truthfully, the millennial kingdom is just the beginning of the eternal reign of Christ. But that will be deception. In verse 7, we see it. When the thousand years come to an end, Satan will, let, will be let out from prison. He will go and deceive the nations, called Gog and Magog, in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for battle, a mighty army, a numbless, a sand as long as a seashore. When the thousand years come to the end, Satan will be let out from his prison. Scripture teaches that there will be no unsaved people entering into the kingdom. Only the redeemed from among the Jewish and Gentile survivors of the tribulation will go into the kingdom in their normal physical bodies. The perfect environmental and social conditions of the millennium, coupled with the lengthened lifespan of those physically alive, will populate the earth by marrying and having children. By the end of the 1,000 year reign, the world will be filled with numerous generations of their descendants who will still have bodies of mortal flesh. And more importantly, will still struggle with sin and temptation as we do. So at the end of those 1,000 years, the descendants of this tribulation survival will be tested. And after 1,000 years of Satan being in prison, he will be ferociously trying to convince many of them to follow him. He's not going to have a big problem because many of them already are having problems in their heart trying to reject the kingdom of Christ. So it will be easy for them to be persuaded. They were waiting for a leader, and the leader came. But it's just going to be for a period of time, very short. How will this be possible? Well, stop and think about these purposes. Satan has been in prison for a thousand years. He got a chance to repent, but he didn't. He was planning for a thousand years the way that he would conduct his revenge toward God. And the way that he would use God's people to do that. Or in this case, God's creation to do that. So that will show us that who can understand what is in our hearts, only God. Because we are wicked. We are depraved. And if by God's grace that right now we still get a chance to repent and be made new. So there is final destruction for him, verse 9 and 10. And I saw them as they went up to the broad plain of the earth and the surrounding God's people and the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Satan will have no problem enlisting this army, as I mentioned it. But before any one shot will be fired with those arms, the Lord will destroy them. Will destroy those armies, will destroy Satan, will be sent to the lake of fire forever. Satan's power is not eternal. Lastly, judgment for the sinners. When we read in verse 11, we see how John is expanding his vision. And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it, the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. So the great white throne judgment is different from the 
judgment seat of Christ. You probably heard of it. The judgment seat of Christ is like the, the award ceremony. It's like the Oscars for those who play the main roles in life. It's going to be the moment when Christ will give the rewards to those for the good deeds that they done while they were alive. So that's not a punishment for the believers, but it was actually a time for to reward them. And there will be different rewards according to what they did. So don't think that your deeds or your works are not counted for eternity. They are. They are not counting you for salvation. You cannot do anything to earn your own salvation. But you, as a believer in Christ, are designed to do good deeds precisely because of your condition as a saved person. So you obey the Lord and you are his representative in this world. And the way that you behave, the way that you conduct, everything will be taken into account. And in that ceremony, in the judgment seat of Christ, you receive those honors. But in the white throne, that's a different story. This is created for the unbelievers, those who rejected Christ, those who are going to be resurrected as well in this second resurrection, coming in front of God, sitting on his throne. And at that moment, there will be a judge, but there will not be a defense lawyer. There will be a case, but there will not be an appeal for that case. Everything those unbelievers are going to see is how God, who is just, is imparting justice, condemning them for eternity in the lake of fire. There will be books, as we read here, and those books contain different things. So why this white throne is important? Let me, let me tell you briefly about this great white throne. Three words. First, it's called great because it's, the, it's, it's designed to, to do the final condemnation. The only exception will be the beast and the false prophet, but all the other people, all the other unbelievers will be judged in the white throne. It's called white because it's supreme, it's pure, and dim display of the perfect righteousness of justice and purity of God. And it's called throne because this is a place of absolute majesty and sovereign authority to consign people to the lake of fire. So as I told you before, there will be a judge but no jury, prosecutor but no defense attorney, a sentence but not an appeal. None of these things will exist in this courtroom because Christ will judge the unbelieving world with an absolute justice. Nothing will be missed and overlooked. The unsaved people will know why they are being condemned. Verse 12, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their, what they done. And they recorded in the books. The sea gave up his, his dead, and the dead and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. The dead before this throne are evidently the unsaved, the unbelievers, the unrepentant. The book of life contains the names of those who have trusted Christ for salvation. And their names have been placed there since the beginning of the world. God knows 
who the elect will be. We don't know, but he knows. So every time that we trust in Christ, remember, those names are written in the book of life. Since he will evaluate also what will be our behavior as a believers, there are other books that are written. And in all those other books are written a lot of the things that we say, that we are doing, every behavior, everything. Nothing will escape God. You can hide from your wife. You can hide from your children. But you cannot hide from God. He is taking a, that lie that you said last week, that pornography page that you just watched, written. Everything is written in those books. That gossip that you like to share, everything is written in those books. And for those unbelievers, those books will be open. And it's like watching a huge movie behind that person's head with every single thing that was done for that individual. How terrifying that could be. Don't you value that you have grace? That you don't have to go through that? Sometimes we don't think about these things. But the important thing about these two different set of books, he proved this one. At the end of the day, every good deed that you and I can do is not important as far as trusting in Christ. God is not evaluating you by the, your good deeds or bad deeds. He is evaluating you by what Christ did on the cross for you. He paid all. He paid all your sins. Everything, good or bad, he already paid it all. That's the only thing that matters to God. The good deeds is because there will be different levels of punishment as well, according to. So you have, might, might not be judged exactly the same as Hitler. But you will be judged. The level of judgment will be different. Jim, the same situation will be with you. So what happened with those horrible criminals will be applied in a different way. But it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, everybody will end up in the same place. So even that interim place, death and Hades, that interim place, that waiting room, since it's not going to be occupied anymore, will be destroyed forever in the lake of fire, together with those who follow Satan. Satan will be destroyed, sent to the lake of fire. He will join company. So for those who believe, well, Satan is in heaven, I mean in hell right now. No, hell, as we know, a lake of fire, is, he's not there yet. He's still in this sphere that we live in. He's still doing what he's limited to do, even though his power is limited. One day he will be let loose. And that's going to be horrible. So a whole world has been infected by the stench of sin. And there is no way to get rid of it. You know you can run, but you cannot escape from it. You cannot eliminate the effects of sin in your life. You can. But there is one who can. His name is Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross for you and me was pay the debt that our sin cost. That penalty of our death was paid in full. If you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can receive a free gift, and it's called salvation. Something that he wants to give it to you. Sin spoils everything. But when Christ returns, 
he will redeem everything. A little boy and his father were driving down the country room, um, road on a beautiful spring morning. Suddenly, out of the nowhere, a bee flew into the window of the car. And since the little boy was allergic to the sting of bees, he was panicking. He was afraid. He was just jump, jumping everywhere. And the bee was inside the car flying around everywhere. His father, knowing how dangerous it would be for his son to be stung without bee, he followed the bee with one of his hands and grabbed it and squeezed it. But he didn't kill it. Then he opened the hand and let the bee escape and continue running. The little boy panicked again because the, the bee was flying around on his head. And knowing that he was terrified, the father looked at the son and says, Son, you see this? And he opened his hand and showed him how this thing of the bee was in the middle of his palm. You don't have to panic. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. I'm taking this thing from you. The Christian doesn't have to be afraid of death because Christ has taken this thing of death. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For the sin is the sting that results in death. And the Lord gave us, gives sins the power. But thank God, he gave us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. I will encourage you to do something. If you haven't established a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you never, never have been asking Jesus Christ to come into your life, this is the time. Yes, you might think, okay, seems like the millennial kingdom is going to happen. Wow, long time from now. You never know. If you and I, as premillennialists, believe that the rapture is the next event in God's prophetic calendar, we understand that the rapture can happen today. Christ can come today. So the day of salvation is in this present moment. It's right here when you made a decision where are you going to spend eternity? Because you are an eternal being. Your soul is eternal. The problem is what side of the eternity you're going to spend your life. Whatever Jesus is or whatever Satan will end up. But the decision needs to be made today. Right now is when you decide. Maybe you think you have a relationship with him because you grew up in a Christian home, but you never made a decision personally. You never talked to Jesus and said, Jesus, now I understand that you died for me, for my sins. I repent. Please forgive me. If you never done this, believe me, this is the way that you can open your heart so something great and magnificent can happen in your life. So you can move from being enemy of Christ to be a friend of Christ. To be a sinner, to be a forgiven sinner full of grace and a new believer in Christ. You might say, well, I've been trusting in Christ since I was a little kid. Unfortunately, your testimony is, is not showing your faith. You're not reflecting what is happening inside you. 
Maybe nothing happened inside you because you couldn't understood, understand at the time what it means to be a believer in Christ. But today is a day that you can fix that. It's the only thing that you can do. Trusting in Christ so he can do what you and I cannot do on ourselves. Because he already accomplished that in the cross. He took the sting of death upon his hand when those nails perforated his hands. One day you will see those scars. And when you thank him for what he did, and you ask him, why? Why do you love me that much? He will say, because you are my beloved son. You are a creation of my father. And you are worth what I did for you. Would you like to experience that? To be whatever he is? You might think heaven is right there up there. It's so far away. I don't want to be with white robes and wings. You might have a different distortion of what heaven is. Heaven is whatever God is. You will be surprised by the next two sermons to understand that heaven and earth will be one. But in the meantime, the important thing is, how can I assure that I'm going to be whatever Christ is? Only through faith in Jesus Christ we can accomplish that. So please, don't let this happen. Don't let this pass. I beg you, don't let this opportunity pass by. Jesus stands here in front of you. Only Christ can give us hope. Today you can sing hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Death has lost a grip on me. You have broken every chain. There is salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Because Jesus is our living hope. Please stand. Stand as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you recognizing that there is nothing that we can do for you to love us more. There's nothing we can do for you to love us less. It's by grace that we are saved when we trust in Christ as the Lord and Savior. And I pray that for some of the people who are listening to me this morning, they come to the realization, Father, that they need to come to you just the way they are. Please, Father, get into their heads. Steer their hearts and remind them, Father, that the reason why they are here this morning is because you had this special message, message for them. They need to come clean before you. They need to trust you. They need to accept you. They need to shine your light upon them. I pray for those who have made that decision already, that you can help them to clean their feet as they can continue walking closer to you in communion. Father, sin is a sting, and sin is a stench that we cannot get rid of it. But we are so grateful that you took it out of us and put it on yourself and nailed it on that cross. And for that, we are eternally grateful, Father. We love you, and we sing hallelujah to the one who made me free. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And everybody said.